Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be and to be. Welcome to the Green Gold Rugby Podcast. We are the podcast that's getting you over the gain line on all of the hottest topics in Australian rugby. My name's Hugh Cavill. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, this week, we've had a week off for the long weekend, so I think um, given that, we, we won't just fly through the introductions. We'll give it some time. Um, and our first guest tonight, our first panellist, uh, is Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? Mate, I'm, I'm great. Great to be back after uh, having the bye. The bye weekend, what did you get up to? Just a bit of R&R, um, you know, the, uh, or did you go back to the drawing board and work on your, analyse some of your performances over the podcast in the first few weeks or just wing it? Uh, mate, I just doubled down. I trained even harder, uh, like you said, kind of dug deep, look at uh, a bit of, a bit of analysis um, of my performance and realise it's best to stay with what I know, which isn't much. I know, and, and you know, you've done your usual amount of preparation for podcast uh, tonight, which is absolutely nothing. And so, uh, looking forward to the opinions that you can pull out of your backside uh, throughout the course of the next forty minutes or so. Um, I Nick, like to leave them based on nineteen nineties rugby, mate. That's kind of that's, well, I like, well, that's that's where I froze it in time. That's right, and so does the ARU, to be fair. So who who can judge? Um, Nick uh, Vasiliev, our, our producer slash. Um, panelist extraordinaire um how are you what did you get up to over the long weekend uh not much just went home for a bit chilled out and uh definitely did work on my on my podcasting still very much the uh the rookie here but uh always looking to improve always looking to get better now that uh now that i seem to have an have an increasingly increasing number of starting starting plays in the uh in the pod in the, in the side. um much more in the side, yeah, I'm in the side a lot more now. Um, I'm a much, I'm much more cheerful than we were last week uh, after the after the Brumbies win on the weekend. Uh, I would not have been uh, in a totally good mindset after the their performance against the Waratahs the week before. Good point, and and giving a shout out as well to to Rugby Reg, who's up on the Gold Coast for the Commonwealth Games uh, in a professional capacity. Um, uh, good to see Reg up there, and I think his event in the Taekwondo is coming up uh, later this week, so keep an eye out for yeah. him there. Um, That's after the shot putting, isn't it? He's, he's always struck me as a shot putter, Reg. Well, yes, well, amongst other things. Um, let's talk about the questions tonight with our five burning questions, uh, except no imitations. Uh, number one, Rugby Australia's $3 million loss, what does it mean? Number two, should RA punish Israel Falau? Number three, what can we learn from last weekend's games? Number four, the Commonwealth Games, the sevens. Can Australia take out the gold medal in the men's and the women's? Uh, number five, what is happening in this weekend's game? So let's get straight into number one. Uh, this week, we're, we're the ARU released, or the RA, I should call it, released its annual report uh, at its AGM. Um, and the headline was a $3.8 million loss um, in the financial year 2017-18. And uh, we are told that it's a one-off loss. Um, and in fact, we'll be turning it around in 2018. Um, so um, I actually spoke incorrectly before. It wasn't the 17-18 financial year. It was just the 2017 calendar year. Um, so that can be taken into mind. But look, a $3.8 million loss 
Um, Matt, uh, is that something that um, you know we should be really concerned about, or given what happened with the force and, and uh, Super Rugby and some of the issues there, is it is it probably better than we could have hoped for? Look, uh, look, I've done my normal amount of digging into this, Hugh. Uh, to to give you the real detail. And so firing from the hip, I would have to say that, um, look, it, it I think, you know, the, getting exiting the force may maybe meant that, I don't know, uh, we're not, you know, we're not going to be f- falling over tomorrow, but I think there's still plenty of bleeding to happen out of Super Rugby. I think it's just the nature of that of that format and of the tournament now. Um, and at the same time, when you haven't got a, t- a national team that's, you know, really performing and you, you see what ha- then happens with test match attendances and everything else, um, then I can only see that, you know, this is kind of heading in the one direction. So, look, I, I think the tone of it, they've tried to say, look, it's a three million offer- operating deficit. I mean, actually, it was a bit weird. The way I read the article, they then said, though, that that $21.6 million grant to build the new headquarters somehow papered over financial cracks. I would have thought that'd be money that kind of came in and then went out pretty quickly. Um, so I don't really get why that should mean that we have a massive budget surplus uh, when obviously the operating deficit is at almost four million bucks. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so in round, I think it's it, surely it's deeply worrying if you know we're 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 dropping four million bucks in a year, and I don't see exactly the way out of it next year. Well, I think the answer that that, that um, a lot of rugby Australia's communication posted, Nick, was was the Ireland series mid year seems to be um, uh, a bit of a cash cow for them, given the um, you know Ireland being a good side, Six Nations champions coming down and having a large expat population who are known to to attend these sorts of events. Um, uh, compared to you know 2017 where we had Scotland and Fiji and and um, Italy. Um, but it is worrying, Nick, that, that you know we're so seemingly now so reliant on these mid-year internationals to bail us out of, of the financial troubles. That I mean, it is a bit concerning, isn't it? It is a bit concerning. Like I think, well, last year uh, you had the three afternoon test rugby, um, those three afternoon test rugby matches, but you know they weren't the draw card of um, like the, an Irish series is. So I think that Cameron Klein is kind of right in a sense that the Island series will be a lot more successful financially um, given the, you know, there's a lot more, there's a, there's a huge amount of rivalry. It's a hot, it's a full series. Um, you know, whereas last year you we were playing against, you know, Fiji, Italy and a depleted Scotland side. Um, so the interest wouldn't have been as, as big also add to the fact probably that, you know, most people would have been more focused on, on the British and Irish Lions series. Um, I think, you know, 2017, it was it was a shocker of a year for Aussie rugby. So seeing that we were going to be down, down, you know, for the year, really, I wasn't kind of – I was kind of expecting it a bit because, you know, Super Rugby was draining so much money and public disengagement with the whole uh, – with rugby in general was kind of pretty low and people weren't very happy with it. Um, and – and I kind of it made me wonder as well, you know, because the the reason the whole reason behind them cutting the force was due to financial reasons and financial for the financial stability of the code, which is what Klein mentioned, um, which made me wonder, you know, thinking back at the end of last year when Twiggy put fifty million on the table and said, hey, fifty million to 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 ensure the future of the of 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 rugby, and they turned it down. Imagine what 
would have happened if they'd said yes and had $50 million and another team in the comp? Well, I mean, and that's a that's an interesting hypothetical. But you've got to say, looking at the the, the Super Rugby this year, Matt, uh, that yeah, the quality on the field, and maybe it's just me, but the games I've seen, the quality on the field has picked up, you know, and, and the teams are winning more, and it looks like you know a really even conference. And the games, the Australian games, are far more watchable because you don't have those minnow teams getting the shit kicked out of them every week. Um, you know, it, it might not come back this year, but certainly you've got to think that 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 decision looks to be a pretty good one and the crowds and the TV ratings and that, you know, will will bump up a little bit and will help a little bit of, um, you know, cash coming back into those super rugby sides, you'd think. Well, mate, that's only because we haven't been to New Zealand. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, I think we're about to find out on that one, right? So um, we'll, the only people we've been beating have been ourselves. Oh, yeah, but, but I mean, that, and that's true, but the South African, we put the South African teams away, um, and the New Zealand teams are the draw cards. I think it's set up quite nicely for when the New Zealand teams come to town. Um, but, um, look, that that might be uh, getting into a little bit more of question three. The other thing that I want to have a bit of a rant about is, is um, you know, the, the way that um, the ARU have slipped in an, an another couple of board appointments, and, and um, I made a point on Twitter today that... Um, you know, that they've appointed Phil War um, to replace John Eels in the second half of 2018. And, and you know, I, I, I copped a little bit of flack from some, some quarters on this, but essentially, I mean, I encourage everyone to Google what the Rugby Australia board looks like. And, and it's a pretty interesting read. And, and I, in my job, have been dealing a little bit about with boards lately. And, and anyone that knows a little bit about boards, and I only claim to know a little bit, is that, you know, one of the keys is you want a, want a range of people uh, sitting around the table, and that doesn't necessarily have to be too wildly divergent, but certainly you want a range of viewpoints and f- people from different backgrounds, and, and all obviously have to be qualified and, and intelligent and, and tick all the, uh, all the right boxes in, the, in that regard. But certainly having a, a range of diverse viewpoints is, is, a, is, I think, a really useful thing and a, divange, a, a diverse mix of skill sets. And now if you look at the Rugby Australia board, um, the thing you'll notice is is um, a lot of Sydney siders, a lot of private schools, all Anglo-Saxon, um, and into this mix they're adding Phil War. So they've had an opportunity that with John Eels' term expiring, they've had an opportunity to put a new board member on that board, and they've chosen Phil War. So Phil War, uh, his background is in banking. He's private, obviously went to the Shaw School, uh, lives on the Northern Beaches. Um, and I just really struggle to see what, what he's bringing to the table. Now, I am a big Phil War fan. He was my favourite player uh, on the site. He's, I use him as my avatar on, on Green and Gold. Um, honestly, like I'm, I'm, you couldn't get a bigger Phil War fan. I've met him a few times. He's a lovely bloke. Um, but, you know, what's he bringing to the table in terms of skill set? Cameron Klein's the banker, obviously, with, a, with, with that background there. And, and you know, Phil War... Uh, doesn't bring a huge amount in, in, in that professional sense. There's two ex-Wallabies on the board already in Brett Robertson and, and Paul McLean. Um, there's, you know, a lot of Sydney siders. There's a lot of privately schooled people there, I can tell you that much. So, yeah, to pick a guy like Phil Wall when you've got an empty seat on that board to fill, it's just a classic Rugby Australia decision, at the, uh, if you ask me. It's, it's so short-sighted. I mean, there's no one on that board from regional areas. There's no regional New South Wales or regional Queensland representatives um and that's a you know a huge uh chunk of our playing base and supporter base um there's no one uh, from any different racial backgrounds there's no one from any Hugh, different ethnic be- Hugh, background. Hugh, you've made the classic mistake mate you've made, <laughs> you've made the classic mistake 
of thinking that some for some reason you know rugby uh, uh, you know ra is there for you the rugby player or supporter i mean like what on earth made you think that that's the case well look if you wanted a a, a, a white uh privately schooled short boy well look i mean i'm i'm there you know i sent my resume it, it, in i was maybe you're missing over. one important thing you're missing one important thing i don't remember the number of wallaby caps that you picked up uh, well, it's, uh, that's true. Still, still asterisks. Haven't officially retired yet, Matt, so it still can be added to. Um, still holding out hope. Well, um, if you do, then if you do, then you are very much board material because, like you said, you've just ticked every other box. But no, quite seriously, I mean, isn't that the thing that you've noticed? And it's not just at RA where, for some reason, you need, you know, Wallaby test caps make you a great board member. Um, where, you know, to me, it'd be like, well, that guy who played subbies for 40 years, he sounds like a guy who's a good board member. Who was the guy we talked to from the Western Force? Uh, Jeff Stook. Jeff Stook. And look, and right, to, who, who was still playing. To RA's credit, they've put a bloke called Hayden Rourke on there as well. And Hayden Rourke is the president of Gordon, and that's a, you know, and a real club stalwart. Uh, and Gordon, while well, um, again, note Sydney's North Shore, um, it, it, you know, yeah. it's still at least there's that link to the clubs. But, I mean, look, if you want an ex-player, I mean, look, I don't want to make it seem like it's a tokenistic racial-based selection for the sake of itself, but there's plenty of ex-wallabies that come from wildly different backgrounds than that Sydney private school. Um, you know, there's there's ex-wallabies out there that could really come with a different perspective around that table. And that doesn't mean we have to shift, um, you know, entire rugby policy, and it doesn't mean we have to pander to, to people, you know, to, to minorities and this sort of thing. I know JB called me out on Twitter uh, from the Egg Chasers um, about, you know... Um, you know, this being some sort of misguided affirmative action thing. But, but you know, rugby is a diverse game with, a, you know, we appeal to a diverse amount of people around around the, around the country. And, and to look at that board, and it doesn't need to be 100% representative, but to look at that board and see, I think it's seven old, white, male, or, and there's a couple of female, to be fair, you know, but all from the Sydney's north and a couple from Brisbane. And, mm. and it, it, it's just a, um, it's indicative of where the code's head is at and always is at. And that's, you know, that private school North Shore thing. And mm. I, I just think but, it's, it's, um, it's, a real, it's a real shame because I had an opportunity to do yeah. something really uh, unique and different and get a different perspective around that table. And it's an important table. It's where they decided to cut the force, you know. These big decisions are made mm. around the board table. So... Well, I think I think you're right, but except for the wrong reasons, right? Is that I think it's you're right that it ends up being that you know was it a male, stale, and pale um, sort of you know board makeup. But I think it's not for those reasons. I think it's more it's that ex wallaby you know inner sanctum thing where if you haven't played you know elite rugby, how could you possibly have an opinion on it or understand where it should go? And it doesn't just happen with that those ARU appointments. It's you know, look who makes up the Fox Sports commentary team and analysis team. And if if you're not an ex Wallaby with with a haircut, how are you going to get it? And that doesn't mean that those guys aren't good at what they do. I'm not trying to talk them down, but I really do think there are people with other viewpoints, right? Um, and if you look at other codes, and you know, outside probably apart from the NRL. But, you know, there are other uh, places where you get, you know, more divergent viewpoints, which are actually bloody interesting, right? People who are actually analysts of the game um, and can really offer something. So, but for some reason in Australia, I don't know if it's the size of the pool or the talent pool or something like that or our confidence, we think if someone's on next quality, they can't possibly make decisions in rugby. Um, I find it bizarre. Uh, Nick, you got a point on this? 
Yeah, I just looking looking at it. I mean, the only thing that I see Phil will bring it to it is like Eels. He's a he's um, a former ex Wallaby player, but you know, like you mentioned, there's two there's two ex Wallabies already on the board. I think with this one, like you know, when they appointed the the president of Gordon to the to the rugby board, I it, it seemed like a, a step in the right direction. Like it was a step forward, and I feel like like you building on your points. This the appointment of war is kind of really a step back. Um, you know, it would what, how what would have it said about the new era of rugby Australia if they had gone and said, you know, Jeff Stook was the last member to represent Western Australian rugby um, on the board. Let's get someone else on the board from WA. Or what would it say to have, you know, someone from uh, from regional uh, from country New South Wales or country Queensland or somewhere somewhere outside of that of that North shore bubble that can bring a new perspective on, on the game uh, that would have said not just like their appointment was, would have been one thing, but the actual kind of what that would have could have done um, I think would have, would have added it, added a lot to like, it would have had a bit more, like it would have had a bit more impact and could have done a lot. I think this is a bit of a missed opportunity by rugby Australia. Yeah. And, and that's a pretty fair point. And given our ranges, our games now played by, a lot of a lot of communities across the state, and, and you know the Pacific Islander community is one that springs to mind, and, and uh, you think that that's something that they could have gone down as well. But speaking of the Pacific Islander community, it brings us to question two: Should Rugby Australia punish Israel Folau? Now today, Israel Folau met with Raylene Castle and Andrew Hoare, um, the CEO of the New South Wales Waratahs, uh, Rugby New South Wales, and um, they had a a discussion that was described as. As productive, but um, obviously no sanctions flowed from that, and there was no guarantee that Israel Folau would stop uh, his uh, online behaviour. Now he has, you know, always been pretty, um, you know, you know, one to uh, proselytise on Twitter and really um, get the, his religious uh, sort of ethos out into the into the internet and quoting Bible verses and, and um, you know, it's a lot of fire and brimstone sort of stuff. But obviously, it's it's um, come to the fore in recent days with his tweet about uh, what happens to gay people uh, in the afterlife. Now, obviously, Rugby Australia has an inclusion policy that doesn't have any penalties ascribed to it, but it does say that, um, you know, something along the lines of at all times, um, players and representatives of the game should be inclusive and open to um, everyone of every single background. And, and um, certainly it's, you could say Israel Folau's tweets contravene this, but um, as I said, there's no penalties associated with breaking that uh, inclusiveness policy. Um, uh, Matt, we'll start with you. I mean, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on this one? Because it's a bit of a tricky one given, you know, it's his religious freedom and, and in this country it's not illegal to state, you know, your, your religious views and certainly the Bible does have a lot to say on, on, on that particular issue. But, um, you know, obviously it's, it's out of line with a, wanting to promote a game that's inclusive and um, open to people of all backgrounds. Yeah, look, I... I look. I don't agree with his views at all, uh, and you know, so I can't side with that. I can't side with that. But I'm completely down that line of thinking of how do you sanction against that? Like, and there's two things in that. One, how do you do that in freedom of speech and freedom of religion? And then two, how what would Rugby Australia do? Like, you know, in terms of what would it actually look like? Um, you know, ban him for games? You're going to fine him money? I don't. What's the route? Are you going to take away his Twitter account? They don't own it. So, but to go back to the very first point, which is, well, you know, that's a very straightforward 
you know, Christian, you know, piece of doctrine, right? That's, you know, and, and, you know, only 10, 20, 30 years ago, well, I mean, it's still there now. So if, if you got asked the guy his belief and he's, and he, and he strongly believes that, then, you know, and the, you know, Christian faces to go out there and you do need to proselytize his house. And that's, you know, you're supposed to get out there and convert. Then, and if we allow people to do that in this country, why wouldn't he be able to say that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can disagree with it. I do. But I don't know if you can stop him to do it. And then how on earth does Rugby Australia stop him in any way? Well, um, yeah. Do they, do they fine him for it? Do they ban him for games? Um, I don't get it. So, yeah, I think they found themselves in a bit of a pickle and that I'm not really sure what they could possibly do about it. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, if, if, if you know, members of the Wallabies want to be focused on getting out there and converting, I'd much rather that be Bernard Foley than anyone else, but um, that's the point. Um, <laughs> he does, Nick, mate. The, the Iceman cometh. The, <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, Nick, I, I'll, I'll, take, I'll shift the question a little bit because there's certainly been, you know, a lot of airspace, a lot of airtime devoted to this subject in the last few days. What does this mean for Izzy's legacy? Because, you know, he's a three-time John Eels medal winner. He's an undoubted great of the game. He's someone that we're going to, you know, remember fondly in years to come. But, you know, this sort of thing, it's got, it's got to affect the way that we think about him, you know, his legacy and what he leaves to the game and how much he's loved by the community, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it. I think it, it will affect his legacy somewhat. Um, it, it's it's an interesting one with Izzy because you know he it, like I definitely agree with Matt. I mean, I wasn't. I not, was you know definitely outright disagreed with with his view with with what he said um, because rugby, you know, in my mind, is a game for everyone, and it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter which what, team you're back for. Christians. Including yeah. Christians, is what you're saying. That, yeah, that, that's well, it's for everyone. It, there's, that, that, and that's one of the great things about rugby. It doesn't matter, you know, that your size, it doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is, it doesn't matter anything. On the rugby field, everyone's equal. Um, I think, you know, is he, he's always been such a paradoxical figure when it comes to this stuff. I mean, you go back to his gay marriage when he, when he mentioned that he said, oh, I love all people and respect all people, but I won't support. I won't support same-sex marriage. Um, I feel like is he kind of? It's. I mean, he's com- he he's complete right to respect, you know, have his beliefs and everything. But he, he his role as a marquee person and a person in the public profile, a lot of what he says has a lot of power. And I think it's it's something. And this is what Raylene Castle kind of talked about that that sometimes the things that he says can have the potential to really hurt people. Um, and it's it's something you know I'm no one's against him being um, exercising his beliefs and having the rights to his beliefs. Um, it's just the matter of how he got, how he gets it across. And you know, railing today, she said, you know, I think that Izzy kind of did acknowledge that he could have got across this viewpoint a little better. Um, and I think, but it's it's it puts Rugby Australia in a really tricky position because you know as you know Castle also mentioned that a lot of people out not just here in in the rugby in rugby but in the other codes overseas are kind of really looking at this situation and seeing how, what how rugby australia goes about it you know i think probably the best response to it came from the sydney convicts the sydney convicts rugby club because they said you know that while they were disappointed with israel's comments his what his statement said they said 
his statements do not reflect rugby union's attitude to gay people. Um, and I thought that kind of highlighted that as much as you can respect, as, as much as there is, you know, all this, this talk going on is that at the end of the day, rugby still is a game for everyone. And I think that's what, where this conversation should kind of but, really end. But, but, but look, I mean, but nothing is he said or did, right? As much as I, you know, it's not my thing. But, you know, said that it's not like, you know, he, you know, he didn't say gay people are unwelcome playing rugby, did he? No, um, no. And he just he, he, he just completely stated what if you're a devout Christian, that is the teaching. And I think that's the thing with this. He, he's a simple guy. Right. Oh. He's like, you know, I'm he's a, a stump of the fence mean, post. Well, I'm not trying to say that, but well, no, I'll you know, say I'm it. Saying, I'll say he's, it he's a simple he's a simple, straightforward guy who's a devout Christian. And you're saying, you ask a devout Christian, what do you believe about homosexuality? What do you believe about same-sex marriage? And they've just got to straight up tell you, I don't, they don't believe in it, right? So, and that's what he's done. He hasn't said, I don't think, I haven't heard him say, I don't think gay people should play rugby or that, you know, that there's not a place yeah. for the place for, for gay people. If there was a gay team, maybe he wouldn't speak to him kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard any of that. And in fact, and that goes completely with his thing of I love all people. I just, but, but you know, within that, I'm a crazy Christian, this is what crazy Christians believe. And I don't see how you possibly, you know, in our society, how you say you can't do that. Well, but I'll tell you, where the consequence comes, and, and, and you know, Peter Van Onselen wrote about this in The Australian um, it, a few days ago, is, is that, you know, he's yeah, allowed to say... didn't read that payroll. He, he, yes, he's allowed to say what he, what he wants to say, and we're allowed, you know, we can't really stop him from doing that, but the people that can act are his sponsors. And already, you know, um, there's one uh, one of his personal sponsors I've heard has dropped out, and there's, you know, it's going to make him a risky venture for personal sponsors, and that's something that he has to weigh up. Not only does, you know, I, I mean, I just wish he'd keep his mouth shut about it. Everyone knows he probably believes it, but why does he? Doesn't need to say it on social media. Just just bite your lip, you know. But then all of a he's sudden, got the, not only he's he, got the courage of his convictions, mate. Like you know, that's that's and that's you know, fine. That's the whole bit about being a devout Christian, right? You you got to stand you. You don't hide it. You stand up for it if you believe in it. Oh, and I that's, don't, but and there that's you go. fine. But here, and 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 if he's prepared to stand up and wear the consequences, then then that's right. And and the sad thing for for me is that it it's gonna it could run him out of the game here. Um, it could you know um really tarnish his legacy because of the well, great qualities we be... think of guys like John Eels. Um, and yeah. and not only are they outstanding on the field, but you know we respect them for what they were off the field as well. And and if Israel Falau, you know, as much as I've got a lot of time for the Christians and, and people of, of, of that faith, I think um, if he's going to continue with this, you know, the real fire and brimstone sort of preaching, um, you know, in a public space, then, you know, it's, it's, he's playing a very, very risky game. Don't, don't you see the irony of that, though? I mean, that's intolerant. Well, that's being intolerant of people who have a strong Christian belief. Well, no, but I, I think I, I am speaking more from a, from a personal thing of, of people that have, have, you know, strong beliefs in anything. Um, it might be a comment about the broader Australian society and, and, you know, we're happy if you just go with the flow, um, but if you stick your neck out. And it's the same reason why David Pocock pisses a lot of people off with, with some of the things that he does, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that don't agree with him. I, I think I'll defend his right to say it, but it doesn't mean that he's going to get a standing ovation from the Australian people for doing it. Um, and, yeah. you know, he should expect a bit of blowback. And that's that's the game you play. And now if you are if you want to go and play that game, then that's fine. But I think there's, there's obvious consequences to that. To that, um, you know, as a sportsman in Australia. 
Mm. And so I agree, like, you know, he'll cop the, he should cop whatever he's going to cop for that and, you know, be true to your convictions if, that, you know, that's what they're going to be. Um, but there's absolutely no way you, you can sanction it. Also, no. that, you know, that's something we shouldn't have in our game because actually that is being, that's being intolerant of someone's religious beliefs. And I don't, again, I haven't heard Izzy say, I don't think we should have gay people in rugby, um, you know, or, or anything like that. So I haven't heard him being intolerant. In terms of who should play the game, so I can't understand how anyone else could be back the other way, even if, you know, as much as I don't agree with his beliefs. Um, that was a good discussion, and and we will we'll leave that one there. Um, and if you've got any points about um, extreme beliefs in Australian society, uh, feel free to leave them in the comment <laughs> section. Um, we've got a thousand word limit, but um, obviously can submit longer submissions personally. Um, number three, what can we learn from last weekend's games? Getting back to the rugby on the field, the Waratahs had a uh, good win um, uh, by 21, I think 20, 50 points to 29 in uh, Tokyo against the Sunwolves, and the Brumbies turned around their season form with a win against the Reds that was a bit unexpected. They ended up winning, I think, 45-21, when with about 15 minutes to go in the game, it was 24-21, and the game was on a bit of a knife edge. Um, Nick, I'm going to throw to you first as a Brumbies fan. Are you back on the bandwagon for the Brumbies, and can they go the distance this year? I'm not confident that they're going to go the distance this year, um, but it was it was much it was a much nicer performance to watch than the Tars um, match the week before, where they spent the whole game trapped in their own 22. Um, it was the I think this you know what was it was kind of a combination of two things to begin with. I think the first 15 minutes the game was all the Reds, you know the the Brumbies were down 15 nil. Um, and then it was, I think, and the Reds were kind of looking like they were really on top. But I was really, what really impressed me about the Brumbies was that their forward pack looked a lot more organised. Particularly, you know, they were, they were out to make a statement against the Reds, against the Reds forward pack who'd done them up in Brisbane a few weeks beforehand. Um, you know, I think once the Brumbies kind of got on, what was encouraging to see was once the Brumbies kind of got on top in the forward dominance, it really allowed them to play a much more fluid game. And it really kind of came through in that second half because the Brumbies, I think, outscored the Reds 33 points to, to three. It was like a, a polar opposite um, to the to the opening 20 minutes where it was all the Reds. The last 20 minutes was all the Brumbies. Um, I think, you know... What I think a big factor was in that was was having David Pocock back in back in as well. Um, I think seeing him, uh, particularly with the Rolling Mall, the Rolling Mall was the best it's looked all season, um, and they got two tries for their efforts from it. Um, and I thought that having him there, it, it seemed like a big kind of confidence boost. Um, that everyone was everyone in the in their in the in the Brumbies pack was starting to back themselves a bit. Falau Fainga really played a great game as well um, at hooker um, in in the hooker role. And you know, and once they had that forward dominance, their their backs looked like they got a lot of promise as well. Um, I don't think the Brumbies will go all the way. And really, you know, it's it, I think it'll be a case of force of a false dawn because next weekend they're in Dunedin and playing the Highlanders. Um, but I think it was a much better performance, and it showed that the, the Brumbies have got some got some more tuck, uh, got some bite to them, and got some more fight in them. Um, and they're not going to be. I hope they're not the the kind of as mixed as they were that they have been at the start of the season. 
Yeah, and and look, I think it, it was part of that was about getting obviously Pocock back, but also Christian Lealafano is starting to hit a bit of form, and you forget he spent yeah. the last year on the sidelines. You know, he came back for the NRC, but still coming to the pace of Super Rugby, you feel like he's starting to get his straps. And the same with Tavita Kurandrani, who was better this game, and Tom Banks, and these sort of guys. You feel like they're mm. they're starting to get a little bit of momentum, which is which is a good thing. But Matt, I mean, do you think Queensland were were, were a little bit hard done by? I know at 24-21 they had a, a pretty controversial try disallowed um, to which would have been to Samu Karevi after a David Pocock knock on uh, well sorry David yeah. Pocock knock back which was made to look like a Queensland knock on do you think I mean should the Reds fans feel a bit aggrieved about how it all transpired well it's always hard to know isn't it you know what what would have happened if 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 um, you know basically impossible to know it was most definitely a try uh, and it was a stuff up um, from the ref and the the problem was he didn't even let it play on so that you couldn't have said you know so that the uh, yeah he, he should have been able to TM, see TMO. what was happening and that's actually you see the good refs now if they get a sense that a try is about to be scored instead of blowing it back they'll just let it happen and let the bloke dot it down and then you know give themselves the, the cover their ass and 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 give themselves a chance to look at it on the big screen yeah so you know look at the end of the day you'll never know because. You can then say, well, the Brumbies, you know, blew blew them out by another 20 points, but who knows whether that would have happened or not, right? So the, you know, the whole match would have changed, and um, you know, who knows where we would have got to. Um, but I tell you what, though, in terms of Pocock's hand, it, well, in terms of Pocock's influence, I think the bigger influence wasn't just his knockback, but his tackling. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen the stats. I don't, Nick, you probably have them um, tattooed on you somewhere. But um, <laughs> as far as, you know, the impact he made in that game, he was just a one-man tackling machine. And what was really interesting was, whereas the, the Brumbies line was quite porous in terms of yielding um, ad line metres, whenever Pocock was involved, which most Australian defences seem to be at the moment, um, whenever Pocock was anywhere near the, the ball runner, they were straight down. You know, it was just, you know, ankle chop every single time. Um, you know, good dominant tackles, and uh, that was the. I, th- I thought that was the. Probably he single-handedly influenced the game as well as I think one or two two steals. Um, but he really injected a, a, a you know a rod of s- sort of steel um, into that game, um, which I think probably influenced it even more than the uh, hand of God. Well, that's true. And, and look, I think for the Reds, I, I don't think they should be too disheartened with that performance. As I said, though, they got out to a good start within touching distance in Canberra with 15 minutes to go. And I think that's, you know, still a pretty pretty solid achievement. The two guys, I'll, I think, with three guys, I think that are that are really starting to come good are, um, I mean, Caleb Timu, we've discussed a few times. I thought he was good again. Um, I think he'll make his Wallaby debut before the end of the year. Um, and Taniela Tupo, uh, tight head prop, is, is again yeah. really starting to come along and he's going to challenge for a starting tight head spot at uh, this year too. And the third guy, again in that forward pack, um, Isaac Rodder keeps keeps just getting those reps and getting the work done. And he's another guy I think Michael Checker is really going to like. And I actually can see a lot of Michael Checker style in how Brad Thorne's working with that red side, really built on that forward, that hard edge forward play. And I think you might see a few of those reds forwards make their way into Wallaby Gold come the end of the year. Um, Matt, Talk Tars briefly. Um, good win over the Sunwolves, um, but you'd expect that given uh, where the Sunwolves are at at the moment. Um, Tekeli Nayarovoro, could be, could he make more Wallaby appearances this year? Look, I, I think he's still, um, as our mate Jamie would say, he's still a bit limited. I mean, wow. I mean, against guys half size um, in this match, it was, it was unbelievable. And as a tactic, 
they, you know, they kind of use it where they take it to him on the left wing and he quite literally would bust three tackles and go 30 metres or 40 metres every time. But they couldn't make more of it, I thought was a, was a total was a shame. There probably could have been another two or three tries that came off those uh, breaks that were so uh, amazing. But I was also just gobsmacked that they didn't use him more often. Um, you know, he, he never came inside, you know, on a crash ball. It was always that outside fend and, and, and then um, away. So, but yeah, his impact was absolutely massive. He, he must have um, unbelievable stats in terms of sort of tackles broken. Um, but the guy that I walked away with thinking, uh, you know, wow, was, and, and it's, I've been doing it progressively more as I see him play, especially when he comes in at fullback, is Bryce Hegarty. Um, he just mm. does all the little things well. Uh, so, you know, the number of little tip-on passes, uh, the way he deals with the ball at the back, um, you know, just being there in support. Uh, it's just he does all those little things um, really, really well. I think he's been a, he's been a great addition, um, you know, to, to the side. And uh, I couldn't help but when I was watching that, the, the, what both the Tars and then, you know, the, 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 especially the Reds, is that this year I really felt like, you can see the difference that coaching, some good coaching is making in those younger players um, and those younger players stepping up and, and, and really making contribution. Uh, and, like, you know, I really kind of felt like the um, Simon Crons of the world, um, you know, as, as well as the Brad Thorns and these sorts of guys are really putting some belief and capability into what are otherwise very, you know, in a lot of cases, very young sides. Um, and I think we saw that again with the Waratahs. Uh, on the weekend, um, as well as as we've been seeing with the Reds, and you know, it's like the likes of Bryce Hegarty when you know he was down at the Rebels. It was yeah, it was okay, but I think he's really kind of you know slotted into the Tars there. But the one thing I'd say the the, the interesting point out of the Tars match was, if I've got this right, they didn't actually walk away with a bonus point, even though they scored 50 points. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. They um, unfortunately yeah. conceded too many tries by the Sunwolves. Yeah, yeah and and so if, and if I've got that right, then. They still needed one more try to get the bonus point, which then would have put them equal top of the, of the conference. And they had a point at the last, at the end of the match, I think they were probably about 30, 40 metres out from the Sunwolves line. Um, and it was like, well, you can either kick to touch and take the line out, or if you tap and kick, then the game's over. And Foley asked the ref, said, so if I tap and kick, the game's over. He said, yeah, OK, right, tap and kick, and ended the game. So, which was just bizarre, because there was no way they could lose the game. The only thing that they could have possibly done was get a bonus point. I thought that was really, really bizarre. I'd love to hear an explanation of why they thought that. I can only think that he thought they had a bonus point and is as confused as I am as to this new bonus point system uh, and, uh, you know, and thought he was saving something. So that, that was, a, was a really, really strange end to the game. And I think that's a fairly logical thing to assume. Um, so the Waratahs now won three straight. They're sitting in sixth on the ladder Um behind the Rebels in fifth, um, with a note that um, they've actually got a, both of those sides with a game in hand over most of the teams that are sitting above them. So um, the Lions and the Crusaders. Um, so what we will move on to now is question number four. The Commonwealth Games on at the moment, and we are looking at the Rugby Sevens. That'll be a highlight of the week coming up. Um can we take out the gold? It's arguably the biggest sort of sevens event um, outside of uh, Hong Kong. You know, Hong Kong probably is the biggest sevens event outside the Olympics, actually, uh, f- for the Australian team. Um, the men's side coming off a horror run of injuries, losing Louis Holland and James Stannard uh, in the last week and a half. Um, and 
fielding a side full of debutants in Hong Kong and, and, and having the shit kicked out of them by Spain, which is always uh, encouraging. Um, but the women are obviously tracking pretty well and you feel like they've have a, had a had a good year this year and they're, they're sort of back on song at the right time. And, you know, most of the major rugby-playing nations are going to be uh, fronting up, um, uh, with the exception of, of, of France and and that's really about it. So, Nick, I mean, I don't know if you're much of a sevens connoisseur as me and Matt are, um, but, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on our chances? Um, not, I'm not huge on the sevens, but I have, I have been following it with interest, particularly in the last, in the last couple of months as the men's and the women's team have really performed well. I think the, um, the girls are in with a really good shot. Um, you know, the, they've, They've been they've been having they've been in solid consistent form for most of the year, um, and you know leading up to this up to the season you know I think the chances of them they've, they've continually played well, um, so I think they're in with a good shot. The guys I'm not as convinced by, despite the fact that you know they they've had a good year they had a, an encouraging start to the year they beat you know New Zealand a couple of times I think they beat South Africa a couple of times which is no mean feat because the the Brits box are. are Probably the best. I reckon one of the best teams in in the sevens. Um, I think that I don't. Think, I'm not totally convinced that the men's team can do it. They will definitely be. I reckon a, like a, a solid, like a, a, a top three placing. Uh, definitely like a top three placing would be out of the way because there's a there's a hell of a lot of motivation to play for not just the least that they're playing at home, but also because they want to do it for two of their captains, for James Stannard and. Um, Lewis Holland, you know, both of them had were ruled out of the competition um, beforehand. So I think the motivation will be there. Um, it'd be great, I think, if they did, if they if they replicated what they did in Sydney. I think the girls will do it. The guys, I reckon, a top three placing would be, uh, would be fantastic. As long as you know, I reckon they'll put they'll turn up and put in 110 percent effort. Um, Matt, um, your your thoughts on the sevens? Obviously, been keenly watching them in Hong Kong as they. Um, progress through the lower echelons of that competition. Um, a few new faces coming into that side with the injuries. I mean, are, are the men any chance and are the women, I mean, do you think the women are, are, are the favourites and can they take the gold? Well, the women's got to be in the bag, hasn't it? Um, like, you know, obviously, you know, Canada and the Kiwis uh, are in there and it, you know, they're the, obviously the, the keen competition when it comes to the ladies. So, um, you know, but those guys have been so good. I think everyone would have to think that surely that uh, they're, they're almost a shoe in um, for the men. God knows. I think without with, without Chucky and also I didn't know I didn't know uh, Lewis Holland was out as well. That's um that's a that's a big blow. When did that come? I thought he was going to be captain. Yeah, he was. Um, but he, I think he did his hamstring off the top of my head. Oh geez, that's a disaster. Um, well, yeah, I mean that's going to make it even tougher. But uh, you know. It seems like a long time, you know. It seems a long way away from when they, uh, the guys, won the, uh, the the competition in Sydney here just um, earlier this year. But um, it seems like a tough ask. Seems like a tough ask, but you hope in front of the home crowd they can pick it up. For what's worth, I think the women will take gold. The men um, will be doing very, very well to make the semi-finals, and a lot will depend on luck and the draw. But looking forward to seeing um, Morris Longbottom uh, actually get a crack and hopefully in front of a bigger audience than usual, and because he's a very exciting player. Um, we finish on what is happening this weekend. Um, it is an, another great round of Super Rugby, nearing the halfway point, if you can believe it, uh, in the competition this year. 
um, round nine. Uh, starting out on Friday, no Friday night game in Australia. We've got the Hurricanes Chiefs at 5.35, which should be a sensational game. Moving to Saturday, though, and haven't you got an absolute feast of rugby here? You've got four games back-to-back, starting with the Sunwolves Blues, um, which is not, you know, one, obviously, for the devotees, because, um, yeah, I mean, I think that'll be a pretty open game and good to watch. But then we move into the Australian Trilogy, um, a Neapolitan ice cream spread of some of the finest Australian rugby teams around. Namely, the only rugby teams around, in fact. And that starts with the Rebels at 3.15 uh, against the Haguares at home at Amy Park. Um, a beautiful afternoon game for our Melbourne listeners. Uh, obviously, Dave Vessels, I expect you'll be there too. Um, number f- At 5.35, we've got the Highlanders Brumbies at Forsyth Bar over in uh, the South Island there with the Brumbies hoping to record that elusive win against the New Zealand side. Um, and then the Waratahs v Reds. The classic grudge match at the SCG. First time rugby has been played at the SCG since 1983, 35 years ago. And the Waratahs are busting out a retro jersey for the occasion, and it's going to be sensational to watch. So allow the fact that I've done some research before I launched into that spray to just sink in for a second. Uh, We can appreciate that bit of trivia. Um, Matt, while you uh, (laughs) acknowledge that hard work that I've done there, um, what do you think? Um, and we'll start with Waratahs Reds because that's obviously the game where um, a lot of us will be uh, uh, our eyes will be drawn. Do you think the uh, Reds can can upend the Waratahs three three match streak? Uh, no. So I'm yeah I'm with the bookies on this one. I think that the Tars are looking good and they're going to be at home. Um, I think there's also I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the Reds have got. Um, whether they can really make forward dominance and maybe a bit of a set-piece dominance pay or not. Uh, So that'll be interesting to watch. But I think the Waratahs just have a little bit too much attacking might. Having said that, um, Izzy, is he he still out and for how long? Yeah, he's out for four weeks. So he's got got a couple more weeks, yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, So, yeah, he's got a few other um, minorities to offend um, off the field um, while he plays that out. But, um, yeah, no, I've got the Tars for this one. I'm not, I don't know what to feel about it being at the SCG, though. Hugh, are you excited by that? I think there's a good reason why we haven't been playing rugby at the SCG, isn't there? I think as a one-off novelty, I think it'll be fun. I mean, I, I, um, I was actually hoping to attend and, and had made arrangements to do so, but unfortunately my, um, I've, I've got a, a personal commitment. But um, the... Um, yeah, look, I think it, it, it's... It's an interesting concept, and I think it might be good for a one-off. And uh, you know, I know I saw it when I saw the SCG. I thought, great, I think I might get to that. Uh, whereas if it was at Allianz, some I might have, I might have passed. So I think it'll, it, it, it's just another interesting point, another interesting hook. And and look, I think it might get some people in. It might be horrible to watch the game, and we might, you know, five minutes in, it might become very apparent as to why we haven't been playing rugby at the SCG. But you know, I, I applaud them for having a crack. Nick, who's your tip in this one? I reckon this is going to be a really close one because um, I think the Reds will be. I mean, Brad Thorne wasn't very happy with their performance against the Brumbies, and he made it no secret he was going to flog them this week. So I reckon the Reds will be pumped for this one, and they're going to make a real game of it and put in a solid 80-minute performance. Um, that being said, I'm probably still going to go with the Tars, um, just because right now, like. The, one of the big things over the last two over the last three weeks watching the Tars is that since that Rebels game, their attack looks like it's really turned a corner. You know, the last matches, the last matches they've 
um, the last two of their three matches, they, they've put on 50 points. Um, so I think it will be the case, you know, I reckon their attack, it'll be kind of like a grudge match of flashy Waratah's attack versus a dogged Reds defense, versus dogged Reds game trying to slow them down. I think um, it'll be a great match. I reckon it'll be a close one, but I think the Tars' attack will be a bit too much. Um, the Yeah, look, I think I think it's a fair point. Although I am worried about the Reds. I think... Um, I think Brad Thorne will have them fired up uh, and and absolutely spitting fire as they come out. And I'm a bit worried about what that forward pack might do to our our um, pretty skinny, pretty uh, full, you know, feeble forward pack. Although they have been playing well in recent weeks. Um, we'll finish uh, pretty quick fire with the last two um, Highlanders Brumbies. Do you, do the Brumbies have any chance? Uh, no. No. Don't listen to what Nick has to say. Nick's remains silent. I'll, I'll take that as a no. Rebels, Hagerwards. Uh, the Jags are pretty hot and cold, um, but the Rebels need a bit of a steadying win after that Hurricanes flogging a few weeks ago. Um, both see a Rebels win here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see a Rebels win here. I think it's it like the ja- the Jags have been so inconsistent lately. They had a good game against the Lions. They got flogged by the Crusaders. They've never travelled very well. I reckon uh, the Rebels will put on a good show here. I reckon that'll be a great game to watch, actually. But um, yeah. look, it, it's um, shaping up as a, a really interesting round of Super Rugby. So on that note, um, thank you all for listening, um, and we will look forward to catching up with you next week on another Green and Gold Rugby podcast. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a de Beer.